Morning, Veritas. How are we doing? Hey, my name is Nathan Kolopek, if we haven't met before. Um, my, my wife and I are, and our one child, now second kid coming, are, are moving in a few weeks to be part of one of our network churches in Madison, Wisconsin. So um, if any of you guys have any animosity or hate towards that, you can repent now before you listen to the word. But um, guys, I, I love you. I'm grateful to have been part of this church family for the last almost six years now to bring the word. So today's going to be my hot takes. Um, I just got a lot of opinions I'm going to fire off to you for the last time. That, that's not what we're doing. Some of you are like, I'm new here. That doesn't feel right. But no, okay. We're going to keep going in our Hebrews series. So, so turn there if you've got a Bible, Hebrews 13. One thing I want to point your attention to, though, this morning, some folks aren't, aren't with us, and you're like, well, where would they be if they were here? But um, so, some people don't get to join us this morning because they're actually up in Urbana helping get things ready for our church plant we're doing. Yeah, you can woo that. We're planting a church as, as a family. We're planting a church in Urbana to be a, another gospel light and witness in that community. So some folks got up early this morning, helped pack a trailer, unload a trailer, all of that, so that they can, they can make sure that when it's time to do services there in a few weeks, after we send them out as a family, everything is ready to run, ready to roll. Things are plugged in the right places. Stage isn't going to fall, all that stuff. So be, be praying for them. And if you're like, well, I don't live in Urbana, that, that's okay. When your family is doing something, even if you're not the, the one on the front lines, you still care about it, right? We together are planting a church there, so get excited. And maybe as you start praying for it, God might invite you into the, the next adventure that we're on as a church family. Who knows? Okay. Hebrews 13. We're going to be talking about a theme that's been going on the entire book of Hebrews. If you've been tracking with us for a little while, there's all this Old Testament reference because that particular church was struggling with, with drifting. Someone say drift. Okay, this half of the room, wake up with me and say drift. Someone say drift. Okay, you drift when, when the forces around you push you off of, of where you were before. When the wind, the waves push a boat further away from, from where it used to be because it doesn't have a firm anchor. That's been a theme the entire book of Hebrews, drifting away from, from the main thing onto to other things. Sometimes good things, sometimes not. Our text today is going to come at this from a slightly different angle because drift feels passive, right? I drift when, when something happens to me, but this week we're talking about being led away or led astray. Are you someone that could be led away from the main things? Are you someone that would notice if your connection group started running down the same rabbit trails over and over again until they, those other things felt like the main thing? Have you ever seen this happen to a friend in your life where they started listening to different teachers and voices and all of a sudden you kind of, you recognize you're not on the same page anymore? I've had good friends that have seen, uh, I've seen this happen in their lives where there are really beautiful and important themes in the Bible, like, like God's heart for justice for the oppressed and the poor. And so we, we would talk about, man, social justice and what this means from a Christian perspective and, and open up the Bible and look at the verses. And, and it's like, yeah, the gospel leads us to fight for justice in our world, for oppressed and for hurting people. But then along the way, the, the different books, the different teachers, the different podcasts kind of change the equation a little bit where it's like, well, it's not that the gospel leads to social justice. Actually, the gospel is social justice. And, and then the next round of books, the next round of teachers keep pushing the conversation forward. And so, so I, I would go back and have conversations, and, and all of a sudden it was like social justice or fighting, fighting for the oppressed. That's the, that's the main thing. 
And yeah, Jesus is part of that. He, he believes in that. He loves that. But that's what we're, that's what we're about. A thing that, that started out even as a good thing in the Bible became the main thing. And when a good thing becomes the main thing and it's not supposed to be, it's a bad thing. Or maybe you've seen this in our world where the Bible says God is love and so we want to love our neighbors and love people around us. That's a, that's a good thing. And then all of a sudden you go and try to share the good news or share God's love with people around you and you realize there's some parts of the Bible that don't feel so loving. People don't take it as love. And, and you start looking into, okay, what does this mean and how do I talk to people and what, what's going on here? And you find some people that would tell you, well, the Bible hasn't really been like updated in a couple thousand years hasn't really gotten with the times, you know? In fact, if, if, really, I mean, in our culture and day, like, it can't mean those same things. And if God is love, doesn't he just love love? Like, love wins, right? Love is love. And so just, if two people love each other, what's the big deal? Because, I mean, you can't really take the Bible for, to mean that, can you? And I could list and give you teachers to, to emphasize any point or position you want to take there. Or maybe this might, this might actually hit different in this room. As a church family, we had to wrestle through things like mask mandates and politics and policies and the role of government and all of that stuff in ways I didn't really think we'd have to talk about until, until the last couple of years. But we wanted to get together and worship and talk about Jesus and, and be family in person together. And we had to figure out how to do that. But along the way, did you start listening to some voices that, that were kind of telling you what, man, a little bit more of what you wanted to hear, right? The attitude and the perspective was like, yeah, they can't tell me to do this. Like, yeah, the government can't do that. And those voices became a regular diet in your life. And now we're in a situation where actually we, we don't have to worry the same level about, about whether we have to disobey or, or what, whatever's going on, but you're still listening to those same voices. The heat hasn't gone out of the argument, even if the situation you're in has changed. You're still being led down a direction. Maybe you're not a Christian this morning, and, and actually you look at Christianity, and you see a bunch of the side things or the rabbit trails people go down. And along the way, you're like, yeah, I don't, I don't really like this, or I don't like that, I reject it. But, but listen to me, what if you're not a Christian because you rejected a, a side point? You don't even know what it's about. What if you're not a Christian, but you actually never even really understood what we're doing here in the first place? So what you rejected, yeah, people talked about it, but it wasn't, it wasn't the main thing. All of us, every single one of us in the room have passions, have issues, have causes that we, we actually love and believe in and would hold true to. Even if there's not marches going on in our day about them, but, but there are enough teachers and voices in our world that would love to feed that until all of a sudden a, a good thing or a side thing starts to take the place of the main thing. We could all be led astray. We could all be led away. So how do we not... How do we not wake up two years down the road and go, I don't even know where I'm at anymore? How do we not, as a church community and a church body, go, go running off down a rabbit trail until it looks like the main thing? That's what our passage is going to deal with together today. Hebrews 13. If you're new to the Bible, the Bible app's your best friend. You can, you can flip there. Um, table of contents is also a good friend. Hebrews 13, we're going to be in verses 8 through 16. 
Here's what we're going to do. We're going to start by understanding what their issue was. Like, what's, where's the, the, the side thing that's tempted to become the main thing in their lives? And actually, what's the heart issue under it? And then we're going to look at our lives and examine, okay, are we, are we similar to them? Do we have the same heart issue? And then we're going to see how our passage answers it and gives us some really clear application steps after that. Does that sound good? All right. Hebrews 13. We're going to read two verses that are going to highlight, that are going to show us the, the issue really going on in this church. Look at verse 9. Here's the command. Do not be led away or led astray. Astray means off the main path. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. For it's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, which have not benefited those devoted to them. Part of their issue was food. I'm not talking a diet plan here. In the context of this book, they, they were being bombarded by messages saying, hey, you should go back to the Old Testament way of doing things. Teachers would come in and go, oh, you guys are Christians? That's so great. Good. Listen, you, you follow like the Old Testament diet rules, don't you? I mean, they're from God. Like if God wrote it, it must be good for you today. And, and there's this issue of being strengthened. Like you want to be, be strong. You want to be walking with God, right? I mean, all the good Christians I know, they follow these Old Testament diet laws. Or there were sacrifices still going on. Jewish people were still sacrificing. Well, well you should go be a part of that, shouldn't you? I mean, again, all the good Christians I know, like they're, they're, off, they're off doing those things. Don't you want to be part of that? There were teachers coming in and, and offering them strength, offering them hope in their Christian life, offering them help, but offering them taking down a road that, that the author is saying, don't go there. Now, in this room, you are probably not dealing with going and offering Jewish sacrifices. Fair enough. But I think even if we can't relate to the occasion or the circumstance, there's actually a heart issue where we might begin to see ourselves a little bit more. Look at verse 13. We'll, we'll explain the context of this in a minute, but look at this. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. Someone say reproach. Reproach is judgment. It's being shamed. It's being called less than or not a good person. He's saying Actually, there's a reproach issue going on. People are looking at you Christians and saying, you don't fit in, you don't belong, you're not a good person here. So, so the, the occasion, the thing happening to them is people are coming in and saying, hey, you should follow these dietary laws, restrictions, you should go offer sacrifices. That was the outside pressure, but the inside pressure was actually they wanted to, to fit in, to not be reproached. Because in their situation... In the Roman Empire, Jewish people had a protected status. They were allowed to practice their religion, but Christians were a different kind of thing. And so Jewish people could, could continue to walk in, in the ways that God said in the Old Testament, but Christians were being pressured and persecuted. Their, their lives were being taken away. Their stuff was being taken away. They were losing jobs for their faith. So these teachers were coming in and going, hey, why, why would you put up with that when you could just kind of go, go back to these, these ways and fit in with Jewish people? In fact, you might even get some help there. The, the real heart temptation was actually a desire to fit in and not take reproach or judgment. And so the teaching, again, was just, was just the thing that their hearts could hold on to to find some belonging and fitting in. Do you want to fit in? There's something natural in the human heart where we were designed to fit in somewhere. None of us can really exist completely in a vacuum. We fit in somewhere. Even if you feel lonely, 
like you don't have a place you fit in, there's, a, there's an inner hunger and a longing for that thing that you don't have. Even if you don't have a group of friends that, are, that would maybe be your best friends or your close community, you might have a group that you identify with online or an issue or, or whatever. You have a group of people that you want to fit in with. Do you edit yourself to fit in? Do you change what you would say or what you would emphasize or what you would highlight to fit in with different groups of people? Like, would there be people that would be surprised in your life that you'd be showing up to a room like this because you fit in so well that they they don't know that God has any part of your life? See, again, I think... I think being led away or led astray, that, that's what's going on on the surface. But the thing inside of us that responds to these teachings is a, is a de- desire to fit in somewhere. And we're willing to be led even off of the main thing if it means we could fit in. We're not so different than them. So how does a group of people like us that want to fit in and that are being bombarded with messages from all over the place of what it means to fit in, how do we not be led astray? And to be honest, I think we have two different kinds of pressure in this room. One is a pressure from society that's, that's kind of easy to identify. We, we get messages all day long from, from news or from what we watch, the entertainment we go to, even the people at work, about what it means to be a good person. Right? And, and it's often unstated, but it, it's like, well, good, pe- good people have this position on sex and gender and sexuality. Well, good people, you know, vote for, for these kinds of people. Good people go for these kinds of causes. This is what a good person is. You don't want to not be a good person, do you? And, and even, wouldn't it hurt your witness if you weren't seen as a good person at, at work with people around you and so you, you edit yourself to fit in of what a good person looks like? I think there's another kind of pressure we feel in a room like this that might be even more um, subtle it's not trying to fit in with the world out there. It's trying to fit in with the world in here. We have a collection of kind of American religious ideas that if we had to talk through them, you wouldn't be able to track them to the Bible, even though a lot of the people around you believe them and think them and agree with them. I couldn't tell you why, why Jesus would care about this, but we have a collection of side issues. Well, a good Christian thinks this way about vaccines. Well, a good Christian thinks this way about homeschooling or public schooling. Well, a good Christian thinks this way about taxes. Well, a good Christian thinks this way about Chick-fil-A sauce. (laughs) And listen to me, when I I worked with college students, here's what would happen. We taught and trained the next generation on what it meant to fit in with a lot of these side things. And then we were surprised when they went to college and they, they abandoned it. Like we taught them and trained their muscles of what it looks like to fit in in a room like this with this collection of rabbit trails and side things we have and we maybe missed passing along the main thing. Or at least it was one of many things. And so they went to college and they had practiced for years how to fit in and they just applied those lessons to a new group of people. And we're all up in arms of the next generation isn't going to church. It's like, well, yeah, what did we offer them? But a bunch of ideas and positions that... that we all agreed with, but maybe we didn't teach them what the main thing was. And maybe that's your story. You've been around church long enough that you think, yeah, I fit in here. I know what this is about. But if, if you and I were to sit down and have a serious conversation about what we're even doing here, you'd say, well, it's about God. Go on. Well, it's about Jesus. What, what is that? Well, it's about being a good person. 
Yeah, but what does that mean to you in your life? What does that mean tomorrow when you show up at work? What does that mean for your, your priorities with your finances or your time or your family? Listen to me. Maybe this morning you've done a really good job fitting into the rabbit trails, the side issues, the, the opinions of church people, and you don't actually know the main thing. The author of Hebrews is going to give us the main thing. We're going to go through verse by verse, 8 through 16, to understand the answer to this being led away thing in our hearts, this desire to fit in. And then we're going to see a couple really clear action steps that are going to be kind of duh. But stick with me here, okay? Verse 8. He starts by saying, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. It's not a side issue that we're being led away from. It's a person. It's Jesus himself, and and it's telling us that Jesus doesn't shift or change. Jesus is never going to be surprised by an issue in our society. He's not like, oh, guys, I didn't see that one coming. Um, You're on your own. Good luck there, right? He is steady and stable and steadfast. He will not be caught off guard. He won't change his mind on you. He's the one that you can run after and fix your hope on because he will not disappoint you. He is the same yesterday and today and forever. So the command in verse 9, it says, don't be led away. It's, it's led away from who? Led away from him. Not just led away from a certain set of positions or ideas or cultural norms. Led away from the person of Jesus. That the whole Bible points to and testifies to. Don't be led away from him by diverse and strange teachings. And friends, we have more access to diverse and strange teachings than they did. Open up your phone, Facebook, Instagram, your favorite podcast, whatever. There's enough teachings out there to fill your life. To answer the longing to fit in, but, but don't be led away from Jesus. It says, for it's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. Listen, the God of the universe wants to strengthen you to be the person he's calling you to be. By his grace. Someone say grace. Grace is unearned, unmerited favor. Grace is the God of the universe looking at you, and, and not because of anything in you, but because of him offering himself to you and his strength to you. You can't work hard enough to get God's grace. Otherwise, it wouldn't be grace. But the God of the universe, the unchanging God, is looking at you and offering grace to strengthen you to be who he's called you to be in this day and this moment. You don't need to find something else to go to or run to or top up with. God is for you and with you. And if God is for you, who can be against you? Whatever is going on, in your life or in our world. God is for you and bending to strengthen you so you don't have to go to foods. You don't have to go to your hard work and effort to try to earn God's love when he's offering it to you to respond to. And he's going to play out this this foods, this Old Testament thing. He's going to unpack this for us in, in an even longer route. Track with me. Look at verse 10. He says, We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. He's not talking about people that love camping. He's giving a picture from the Old Testament. Before they had a temple building, for generations they would set up a tent called the Tent of Meeting or the Tabernacle. And that was the place as Israel went through the wilderness and even as they got into the Promised Land where they would go to worship and to offer sacrifice and to to engage with God's presence. He's saying, actually, we have an altar. We have something different. That if you're devoted, if you're following so hard to that way, the most religious you can think of, you still haven't even earned the right to come near this. What does he mean? Look at verse 11. 
for the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest, into this temple, the animal sacrifices by the high priest as a sacrifice for sins. They're burned outside the camp. He's talking about a particular sacrifice here. There was a day called the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. Someone say atonement. To atone is to pay for or, or cover over something owed. The idea of atoning for sins, maybe it's from your church background, you've heard that phrase. On this day of atonement, unlike other days where people would offer sacrifice, the priest would offer sacrifice for the whole nation at once. During the year, if you, if you sinned in other ways in the Old Testament, you would bring a particular sacrifice for your sins. But on the day of atonement, the high priest would offer a sacrifice for the whole people to, to cover the whole people's sin. And this sacrifice, it says, was burned outside the camp. There would be the group of people, the camp, and this offering for sin outside where the smoke would go up and everyone could look over and go, man, my sin equals death. And to be right with God is costly. They would watch the smoke go up as a reminder of their great need and God's grace. Look at verse 12. So, in light of this or like this, so Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. He's saying, you want to go back to these sacrifices? You want to understand the Old Testament? Let me show you what it was all pointing to the whole time. Jesus was the great high priest walking outside of the community, bringing the sacrifice. Just like you watched the priest do that before, just like the the priest was atoning, you have a greater high priest who will never be out of the job, who will never have to pass on his job description to someone else, a priest that stands forever, unchanging yesterday, today, forever. And this great high priest offered the final sacrifice, not the blood of bulls and goats and lambs, but his own blood. Just like the the sacrifice was offered outside the camp and the smoke went up for people to see, Jesus Christ walked outside of the city of Jerusalem, carrying a cross on his back and was killed on a hill, looking over the city for everyone to look and see. The sacrifice has been paid if you will look and believe and trust him. And this is what his finished work did. It says it sanctified the people through his own blood. Do you know what the word sanctify means? It means to set apart and to set apart as holy. So, so here's what Jesus' blood does for any who believe in him. It actually makes you fit in with God. Through Jesus, you fit in with God. Not because you could work hard enough, Not because you could prove yourself to him or anyone else, but because of Jesus' finished work, you were seen as holy and righteous and right with God, belonging to him and with him forever. You fit in with God. That's what Jesus accomplished by his blood. He didn't accomplish the opportunity for you to try harder to someday prove yourself. No, no, no. Done. You fit in with God. So the command we saw in 13, therefore... Because of the final, complete, finished sacrifice of Jesus, who is the same yesterday and today forever, because Jesus has made you fit in with God by his blood, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. Instead of being led away or led astray, you were led back to Jesus. Even if that means going outside the camp even if that means a lonely walk from the 
the tents of the people that you've known for so long towards, towards a hill and a sacrifice. Friends, he's promising us that we will bear reproach. As you fit in with God, you are not going to fit in with people around you. It's part of the gig. If it happened to Jesus first and you fit in with him, it's going to happen to you. But look at this. There's, there's a greater hope even as you contemplate that lonely walk to that hill. Verse 15, through him, through Jesus, oh sorry, 14, for, for here we have no lasting city. Do you feel sometimes like the world is changing? A little bit too fast, right? I'm 30 and I'm like, guys, slow down. Is Will Smith a good guy or a bad guy? I can't tell anymore, right? <laughs> Listen to me. We, we don't have a lasting city. If you're a Christian, feeling dislocated or out of place is part of the gig. You're not going to fit into Cedar Rapids or Urbana or Marion or Mount Vernon or Madison. You don't have a lasting city here. And that, that might be something you actually need to begin grieving instead of trying to fix. You might, you might need to begin grieving the fact that you don't feel like you fit in anymore into this city or this country. Because you don't fit in. Here we have no lasting city. That, that's sad news. But here's some really good news. We seek the city that is to come. Through Jesus, we have a promised home and inheritance that will not shift and change on us. That won't change with the times. Remember, he is the same yesterday and today and forever. And so when he has promised that we are heading towards a city where he will be our king forever, that is a hope you can bank your life and more than that, your eternity on. Jesus' opinion doesn't change. His position doesn't change and and his love for you, he proved through his death and resurrection, will not change, even if society sometimes likes you and sometimes doesn't. Sometimes agrees with a Christian position and sometimes hates it. If you're tempted to fit into this city, the promise is this is not a lasting city, but there is one to come that Jesus has made you fit for. What we're seeing over and over again to people like us that are tempted to be led away to all kinds of different teachings because of a desire in our hearts to fit in, to make other things, even good things, the main thing is actually this. To keep from being led away, you keep Jesus the main thing. Now listen to me, that is so simple. It's like, duh, you spent how long telling me this? But think about it. There's so many even good and noble side things that I'm tempted to make the main thing. There's so many great causes and, and principles and ideas that, that actually you might be very tempted to make the main thing. And what could happen in a room like this if we elevate a side thing to the main thing is we could look at other believers that have Jesus but don't, don't quite agree with our main thing, the thing that we've elevated. We could look at them and go, are you really in? I don't know if you fit here with us, even if you fit in with Jesus. See, the answer is so simple, but it needs to be pressed from your head to your bloodstream into every area of your life, keeping Jesus the main thing when there is pressure out there and pressure inside 
to fit in and to make something else main. He's going to give us some very simple, practical application that, again, might feel a little bit dub, but when you try to put into practice, you're going to see, see the fight it is to keep Jesus the main thing. First off, it's take reproach. Right? He said that, be, be ready and understand. Don't lash out or try to, try to fit in, but re, be ready to take reproach for identifying with Jesus. Be ready for people to, to misunderstand and to judge your motives and intentions and to never quite get it. That happened to Jesus. And if he's your main thing, it's probably going to happen to you. The next thing he tells us to do in verse 15 is, it says, through him, through Jesus, our main thing, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. When Jesus is our main thing, guys, we worship. When Jesus is our main thing, we praise him. When Jesus is our main thing, we prioritize gathering in rooms like this to sing about him. So let me tell you, on a Sunday morning, is, is worship one of your main things? Or is it one of a few good things? This is not a push for church attendance. The room is full, okay? This is a push for your heart. Because there's plenty of pressure to make other things fit your schedule more and let, let worship be an afterthought. But if you fit in with Jesus, actually praising and worshiping him continually is just getting you ready for the city to come. Yet in this city, what we're doing here is kind of weird. Right, A group of adults singing karaoke to some guy that you can't see. Right, that, That's a very odd thing that we do. But if you're looking to a city to come where there are angels and angelic beings and and people from every tribe, tongue, and nation gathered and worshiping God, then actually this makes a lot of sense. This is just getting ready for for what's to come. This is just the appetizer and the main dish is, is on its way. This tends to make a lot of sense when Jesus is the main thing. But when he says praise continually, it it means that starts to show up in your day-to-day life. This is a training ground for Monday and Tuesday. And Wednesday. This is actually a training ground for, for your mouth talking about Jesus as your main thing. Maybe the way that you were talking about your favorite team during March Madness, right? You didn't know you needed to be mad at the Providence Spiders or Barking Spiders, whatever those guys are. You didn't know you had to be furious at those guys. Or that you were going to be so heartbroken when Iowa State made it so much further than Iowa. Oh. I mean, I went to Iowa State, so we're in Wisconsin. This is kind of a weird, it was a weird tension moment for me, but... But listen to me, when, when your mouth is continually offering up praise to God, it's going to leak out when you're offered that promotion. And, and you don't just let it feed your pride and ego, but you go, man, God's been really generous and kind. Or when gas prices rise and your first reaction isn't just anger, but, but thanking God that, you know what, we haven't had worse in this country. It begins to leak out into all kinds of conversations and places in your life when praise becomes the norm in your mouth rather than grumbling or complaining. But it's a lot easier to fit into grumbling and complaining, isn't it? That's the first thing we do. We learn to praise looking for the city to come, even if we take reproach for it. The next two things are in verse 16. He's going to frame them in a negative. I'm going to explain why in a sec. He says, do not neglect to do good and share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Do good and share. Why would he say don't neglect that? Well, if you really take seriously that you're going to be reproached and that you're looking for a city to come, it's tempting to go, you know what, forget it. This isn't my city anyway. Let, it, let them just do their own thing. I don't care anymore. We're going to start a holy community here. We're going to do our own thing. We're going to protect ours. 
No, no, no. Don't neglect that. When you look at how Jesus lived and worked, he healed people that were still later going to get sick. He raised people to life that were still one day going to die on this earth. But he did good as a as an arrow pointing to his character and nature and to the kingdom to come. And then he invites us, his people, to fit in with him and do good where he's put us. Listen to me. We don't do good because we're trying to create utopia on earth. We don't do good because we're going to somehow win this city's full approval. We do good because Jesus has done good to us and invited us into that. And sometimes our city is going to love it. And sometimes they're going to hate it. But that kind of doesn't matter, does it? When Jesus is your main thing. God has invited you to do good in your workplace. That means working with excellence in a way that would honor him and that would adorn your witness to the gospel. That means doing good to the the people around you, in, in your home, even if they don't know Jesus, your neighbors around them. We do good over and over and over again. Whatever the results, because that's what Jesus has done for us. The next thing he says not to neglect is to share. And again, we don't share because we're going to one day solve all this world's problems. When societies have tried to do that, they become more repressive. But we begin to share because Jesus has shared everything with us. He has shared life with us. He shared fitting and belonging with us. He shared hope with us forever. And so when Jesus is the main thing, actually we begin to share because he's, he's our main thing. And he's given us everything. All of life is a stewardship. And Veritas, I'm so encouraged by how you shared generously with the summer team we commissioned. Some of you gave hundreds, if not thousands of dollars to help them go share the gospel. Some of you have been so generous to the Urbana church plan, like buying the things that we need to get this thing off the ground. Some of you are sharing week in and week out your homes to host connection groups or or to host couples that you're mentoring or, or people around. We begin sharing in here and learning how to share because Jesus is the main thing. And then from there, it begins to bleed out to the people around us. My wife and I are selling our house to move up north, and our, our friends have shared their houses with us the last couple of days. I didn't know I would be homeless for a couple of days, but like we listed our house on Friday, and all afternoon we were kicked out. And so there were friends that were like, all right, come on over. Our house is your house. Stay as long as you want. I wouldn't have done that, but thank you. That's great. Or all yesterday, we were at other friends' house. They shared their house with us and just let us be part of their life because, because Jesus is their main thing. Again, I'm not saying anything profound. Praise God, do good, share. But we don't do it to fit in. We do it because we've been made to fit. And Jesus is our main thing. When Jesus is your main thing, your life will look radical to the world around you. Even when it seems so simple on the pages of scripture. Jesus said that his followers would be like a city on a hill. Have you heard that? A city on a hill that is shining brightly in a dark world. And sometimes the world is going to look at that city as a source of light and life and hope. And sometimes the the world is going to look at that city as that light exposes the darkness. And they're going to look with anger and with hate. But it's kind of not, not the city's job to care what the world around thinks. It's our job to reflect the light of our God to the world around us. Imagine if we as a church would live this out. Where Jesus was the main thing. 
Imagine if your life was lived where everyone around you knew that Jesus was your main thing. The, the first step to get there might be you repenting of the side things you made the main thing. And worshiping our God for making us fit in with him. And guys, just in this service, let me just invite you. If you, if you rejected Christianity along the way, or if you even realize in this message that you kind of have made something else into your image of Christianity that wasn't about Jesus and his final sacrifice. What are you waiting for? Yeah, we're inviting you to not fit in, but we're inviting you for a better fit. Would you accept Jesus' final sacrifice this morning? Would you put your hope and trust in him, not just for today, but forever, and join us as we get ready for eternity and praise him? Let's keep Jesus the main thing. Let's pray.